Welcome to Stars Matter, a recruiting podcast from The Athletic. I'm Mitch Light, joined by Ari Wasserman. Ari, how are you doing today, bud? I'm doing good. How are you? Good. Is it, you, uh, you sure you're okay? Seems like the, like life's getting to you. You know, you got the young kid, you got things breaking in your house, you got things, just a lot going on for Ari Wasserman. Yeah, no, I'm doing good. It's just normal life stuff. It's just been kind of a busy week. Okay. So, uh, just checking. you know, but we're, uh, we're humming along. We're going to talk some recruiting. And, you know, maybe we'll, we'll argue about something. But, okay. Well, you know, I, I hope we do. Have a so, good show. Yeah. Um, so not much activity in the recruiting world this week as far as commitments go. Still a lot to talk about. I did some research on kind of which schools made the biggest jumps and had the biggest drops in the rankings from 22 to 23 classes. We're going to look back at Ari's story from last week on DJ Lagway, which I don't think it was on our agenda last week when we had Jesse Temple on, but I think we got too deep in the Wisconsin woods that we did not yeah. talk about DJ Lagway. Um, we'll talk about a few programs that might have some obstacles en route to signing an elite class in 2024, and of course, some trivia. So one big piece of news, which I don't know if you saw last night, Ari, was Austin Mack, the class of 2024 quarterback who'd been committed to Washington for maybe about a month. And we've talked about him. He's a kid that was top 100, I believe, in 247, but was not uh, didn't uh, was not rated by all the services, so I think he's like in the 300s or the 400s. But so, some of the evaluators are really ID'd this guy as a potential five star down the road. Well, he's reclass- he's like six six two ten. Yes, yes, he's reclassifying to 2024 and will enroll at Washington next year. So that two, it's a big story for a couple reasons. I mean, 2023, 2023. Yes, 2023. So he'll be there next fall. It's a big story for Washington because well, a lot of reasons. They recently lost their. 2023 quarterback Lincoln Kineholtz, who they had committed for six to eight months. Ohio State flips him at the last minute. And they have a roster shortage with Sam Heward transferring. They needed mm-hmm. to add a quarterback, whether through the transfer portal, well, that's probably what they had to do. So now this is ideal if he's as good as you know people say he is. He comes in red shirts next year with Michael Penix Jr. And Provides 20- much-needed depth, extra body in the room. Yeah, and then Dylan Morse is still around, who'd be his fourth year, I believe, in 2024, maybe his fifth year. So... Uh, just g- really good job by the Washington staff IDing this kid and getting him in early. Yeah, and it's also kind of funny to me because this is the type of prospect based on his measurables and the way that people view him that had a really good chance to like climb up the rankings. And be you know he won't go through the camp circuit and all that stuff because he's going to be enrolling early, I assume. And then he might turn out to be the next star quarterback at Washington, and then people will look back and go, "Hey, this guy wasn't very highly rated." And now look at him, and it's like, well. You know, it was really early on in the cycle, and I don't think we got to the point where uh, he was fully evaluated yet. So the idea of getting him in and letting that jump happen in college while providing depth, you know, is always a move that I like. You know, there's some people I think that have like mixed thoughts or mixed feelings about uh, reclassifying and whether or not it makes sense for Then I think it's a case by case basis. Like when you talk about this one, I think it makes a ton of sense. Yeah, and I'm I'm interesting you say that because. I know you don't follow college basketball that closely, but South Carolina has a kid named Gigi Jackson who was a five-star uh, committed to North Carolina. He reclassified and signed with South Carolina in its new coach, Lamont Paris, this year. Mm-hmm. And it's been a debacle. I mean, the team is terrible. I watched South Carolina last night, South Carolina Vanderbilt game. He didn't play much. He's kind of – everyone says he's a great kid, but he's brooding. Like if you watch the huddles, you know how in a basketball huddle, a timeout, most of the kids are engaged. He's off to the side. He's got a towel over his head. It's clear, like, I think he's young for his grade. He just wasn't ready. Like, some kids are ready to do it, and a lot of kids are older because they kind of start school Was he later. 17 still? I don't know how, I don't know his age because I didn't look because I wasn't prepared yeah. to talk about it. But sometimes it works out. Here's a case where it just didn't work out. Hopefully, you know, either he'll, he stays, you know, I don't think he's going to the NBA, even though he's a five-star. Um, but, yeah, to your point, it just, it's, it's, it's the right, deal for some people and it's not the right deal for other people. And I was thinking that the best thing that can happen for Kalen DeBoer is that Lincoln Kineholtz becomes a starting quarterback at Ohio State and Austin Mack develops at Washington. Then he's on the recruiting trail. He said, look what I did to Michael Penix's career. I ID'd this Lincoln Kineholtz dude from South Dakota when he was ranked 800s. Now he's starting at Ohio State 
And then when that did, when he flipped, the guy I got for the 23 class is our starting quarterback. That's quite the developer resume right there. Yeah, I don't know if he can ever claim developing kind holds. Well, okay, or identifying. But identifying meaning that he can see something in somebody I think is good. Um, and he, I think that he already passed that test. You know, if you identify somebody who ranks in the 800s and then Ohio State wants him, I think that you've already you've already proven that you're good at identifying early. Now, the, the downside to that is they didn't get him, which yeah. is, you know, I can identify a lot of things. I think Margot Robbie is really pretty, but I'm not going to, you know, I'm not, not going to sign her, <laughs> you know. Uh, Don't give but, up yeah, hope, so, Ari. Yeah, you know, no, I, I'm happily married and, and my wife okay. is beautiful. But I, I do think that, uh, you know, the identifying part but, uh, is. Margot Robbie, Margot Robbie wasn't ranked in the 800s when you ID'd her. She was a five-star already. Correct. I mean, I guess I'd have to find somebody who wasn't attractive and then they get, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. We don't want to go down this road. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, all I'm saying is, is I think that the, it reminds me of the Seinfeld episode with the reservation. It's like, I made the reservation. Now you have to hold the reservation. It's like, yes. yeah, he didn't hold the reservation. He made it. Uh, but, you know, it'll be very interesting to see too down the road. If, if a kid from California that had five-star potential with the size and the measurables and stuff, it just. Michael Penix is pretty tall too, isn't he? I know he's not six six, but he's a pretty lang- he's like a rangy guy. Yeah, I don't know uh, if he's. Yeah, that's a good question. I don't think he's like six four. So I'll, I'll but look. yeah, no, I mean, the thing that you know, you brought up basketball and football. It's like the only people that are really reclassifying. I think there's only two positions that I can think of the top of my head of somebody reclassifying at, and that's corner and quarterback. So I don't know if we're going to be seeing this trend happen a lot, like on the lines. No. Or other positions, yeah. but the quarterback position, you know, is almost as much mental as it is physical. So you go in there and you get an extra year of, you know, repping the playbook and understanding the concepts and stuff. And then as you develop physically, uh, you have a chance to do something. So, you know, good for, you know, I'll say this. Washington's team in general seems to be on such a better trajectory moving forward under Kalen DeBoer than it was uh, with the previous regime. So, uh, you know, Jimmy Lake. I don't know if he had it, you know what I mean? And it seems like, like DeBoer does. So yeah, Washington, I I think I'd be willing to consider buying some stock in that program because I think they're going to be very good this year. Um, Offense, pretty much everyone's back. They have some holes in the offensive line. They lost their thousand yard rusher, but they've, they've got a group there. So yeah, they got Romo Dunze and Jalen McMillan back. They're 2000 yard receivers. They're they're going to be offensively. They're going to be very Pettix is another year into this thing. So you know, I, I don't know what off the top of my head, and maybe I can go find it right now, like what the Washington class looks like in the 2024 cycle. Yeah, there's uh, two top yeah, 50 players, and, and one's Jason Brown, that kid out of Seattle who's a top 50 running back that I think I had in my big board. It's like, you know, I hate to keep always bringing it back to this, but it is, you know, you got two, you got a running back and an offensive lineman who are both in the top 51 nationally in the 2024 cycle in their high schools in Seattle. Like, well, both of those kids go to Washington because like, that's the thing that continually keeps not happening. And, you know, Seattle, I think has year over year had a lot of top tier talent and a lot of it isn't going to, to UW. So I'm going to, I'm going to be tracking those two very, very closely. And it looks like Jason Brown's got a few crystal balls to Washington. So, you know, if they can, if they can get those two guys, then maybe I'll, I'll start thinking about buying some stock again. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I've, I've never, I never gave up my Washington stock, as you know, even, even, I know the, because they were good when you were 17. Exactly. Yeah. Even yeah. the tumultuous Jimmy Lake here. And I, I've been there. It's pretty. I like running the lake. I've it's never, th- there are two major cities in America that I've never been to Seattle. Seattle's and- one of them. And, uh, Wait, that might be it. I figured out Miami is the biggest. I've been in Miami Airport. Miami is the biggest U.S. city I think I've never been to. Yeah, Seattle is definitely the biggest U.S. city I've ever been to. And then I think I've been to mostly every other big city. I've never been to to Duluth. Okay, that's not a big city. No. You've been to Minneapolis? I have. Oh, yeah, you covered Ohio State. Yeah. Um, And I've been in the Northeast. Yes. I've been to Portland, Maine. I've been to Portland, Maine, too. What's What's the biggest city in Vermont? Um, Montpelier. I don't know. Uh, I've been through Vermont. I don't. Know I've if never a been city to Vermont. I've been to New Hampshire. Vermont. I've been to Manchester, New Hampshire. Okay. I've been to New York City. I've been to Boston. Been, been to, to Jacksonville. I've never been to Tampa. That's the other one. Okay. I've been to Tampa many times. You've been to Pittsburgh. I have. Yeah. Okay. 
All right, we should probably move on. Um, <laughs> although, you know, I love talking geography. I love confusing yeah, you when you're doing... I've been to Austin, San Antonio, Houston, and Dallas. Have you been to so Colorado that, City? Uh, I've been to Denver. Okay. I've never been to Colorado City, Arizona, but that's on my list. Okay, good. Yeah, we're gonna have our we're gonna have our recruiting summit there next year. <laughs> That'd Just, be great. Yes. I'll, I'll, uh, we'll find if some. we do have a recruiting summit where the only people that go are recruiting writers, can you yeah. actually pick wherever you want? I mean, with a, can't, I don't think we can go to Hawaii, but um, yeah. A, a, a big city that I just recently scratched off my or checked off my list was Reno, and I love it there. Okay. Love really? Reno. We went to Reno, Tahoe. Okay. Um, so now I need Tampa and Seattle, and then I think I've been in every American city, like major okay. American city. Okay, we'll go to Seattle, and uh, Christian Cable can host us, even though he, yeah, he, that'd he, be lives, great. In, he lives in Tacoma. But um, All right, so you wrote about DJ Lagway, a five-star quarterback from the Houston area who you went down to go see uh, a couple weeks ago. And it's just an interesting story, and I, I don't think the, the point wasn't like on the heels of Jaden Rashad, let's find a kid who doesn't care about NIL. You just went to go do a feature on this kid and it well i out. didn't know yeah. on my way down to see him whether he did or not like right. I, I met him for the first time so there was no preconceived notion of what he was going to say about that if he would have been like yeah nil is really important i earned it i want to try to maximize my potential financially as much as i can before i get to college then i would have written a different column about how florida better figure it out right you know what i mean so you know, the fact is, and, and you did a great job editing it, I think it turned out to be very good and, and exactly what Florida fans probably want to hear, which is um, he knows that he has value. His parents and he are very interested in His trying to maximize, yeah, maximize that value, but he isn't going to make a decision based on it um, and that he he is convinced and it's probably rightfully convinced that if he turns out to do what he's supposed to do at the college level, which is play well and be a, uh, a good starter in the sec that he will be paid once he's there um, for those services uh, through the direct and permitted use of NIL. Um, his dad made an interesting point about how NIL in the state of Texas is off limits. You can't pay for high school players, a high school player. So they are very cognizant of the rule. And the thing that I appreciated about his dad and, th- and I, I can appreciate, but appreciate this about him while also believing that players should try to get as much money as they can, that he has taken a position of putting his son in what he wants first. And uh, I think it would be very tempting. And I've made jokes about this on the podcast before. If you have a five-star son to, Hey, okay, where's the money? Where's the bag? Uh, He said he lived his life. He got to go where he wanted to go and he played college football and that he wanted his son to pick where he wanted to spend his time um, independent of who is offering the most. And then that the money would fall into place after which, you know, you can agree or disagree without about the part of not pursuing it to its full potential. But I think that I would probably agree that that is probably a better route to success than it's very healthy. Putting money first. Yeah. Yes. It, and, Florida's a great you know, place to go to school. And the dad it was just, I think the dad and the kid basically, and I'm just kind of reiterating what you just said. It's like, if I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing, the what I was recruited to do, and I'm the starting quarterback at Florida, I'm going to profit off my yeah. name, image, and likeness. And then and like, he's like, I want to go to the NFL, and that's where the real money is going to come. DJ Lagway is an absolute stud. And if he goes to Florida, and I anticipate that he will, and lights it up, then that is a very easy place to not only get drafted, but to make money. So, and of course, we're saying what we haven't said, what is obvious, which is the collective at Florida will do what they can to properly compensate him. He's not going there for free. I'm sure he'll get money the same putting way. A lot of con- putting putting uh, it's a lot of confidence in the collective at Florida. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe they <laughs> might tell him he's going to make money and then yes. drop the bag at the end. But, you know, I think that the collective at Florida doesn't have to guarantee $13.8 million over a three or four year period. I think that if you pay somebody a hundred or $150,000, that's a rational amount of money to pay somebody that good at that position. So, you know, I wish him all the best. His dad was really a pleasure to talk to. He was a really great young man. His coach has his head on straight. And, you know, the thing I, I think that we have to say is that this is exactly what Florida probably needs right now. Like in the face of dysfunction, uh, they just signed a class that didn't have a top 
or a five-star prospect in it. Um, they are expecting to beat LSU, Alabama, and Georgia to get a quarterback out of Houston who isn't NIL oriented to the point where he's going to emphasize it in his recruitment to come in to help recruit the class to believe in Billy Napier's vision uh, is exactly what the doctor ordered for them. So I'm happy that it's working out that way for them. And I'm, you know, it is recruiting and we also have 10 months before he can sign. Uh, but, and a lot can happen, but I, I do think that they're in a pretty good position with him right now. Yep. Yep. Um, in a, in a minute, we're going to talk about some some teams that like made big jumps and big drop offs. Um, I'm just going to write a story with this information. If you did the work, <laughs> we, should, we should put it out there. Okay, um, and like theorize about why that happened. You know what I mean? I yeah. think that would be interesting. So, um, how many teams total are there? Well, we'll get to it in a minute. It's called a tease to keep people okay. engaged. Um, tease them. You're teasing yeah. me. I'll tell you that much. Yeah, right <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, the great. I, I shouldn't say this, but the, you know, when we first started this podcast i have a google doc where i do all the research and i put all the stuff in there and it's supposed to be collaborative where ari goes in and looks at it so he knows what we're talking about so i used to always uh, have my trivia content tri- trivia question on a separate doc so ari never would see it but now i know he has no idea how to access this google doc anymore so my trivia question it's gone. is it, it's on this it's on the same doc every week so you just haven't caught on to that you could have looked been looking at it for months and, and i don't and, want to cheat okay Ari has lots of thoughts, people. He's recruiting writers. There's lots of thoughts. So we. Did separate- you see how many people read those thoughts too? Yes. I. God love them. That's you know a lot of people care what you have to say. Maybe but they, it's also maybe but it's they also, hate read. They might hate read, but I think that it's just cool to get like thoughts out there. And you don't have to yeah. agree with them, but it's just like things that we're thinking about as the news cycle begins. Right, and that's they're, they're fun. I mean, I I like reading them. I like editing them. They're just kind of like you know just. Here's and what's going been, on. They were clean for the eh, most part. Eh, eh, no? Eh, 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 eh. Okay. Yeah, we'll talk about that later. Um, we're not going to talk about it. Okay. So this is not something we have talked about this program, but w- one of the ones that y- you did discuss was, was South Carolina yeah. that I think is going to be fascinating to watch. We don't need to spend a lot of time on them, Arby, because we have in the past few podcasts. But um, I think the interesting part of that is not, okay, South Carolina's recruiting better. The South Carolina Clemson battle, because – the, the, the opportunity has been there in South Carolina for the Gamecocks in the past five years because Clemson recruits nationally. Sure, they want the good, they want the top 100 kids from the state, but there might be some that second tier kids in state where they're, they're, they've got more national prospects and South Carolina hadn't necessarily been getting those. They're getting those kids now. Now can they, can they still get the ones that everybody wants out of their own state? And it looks like in this next class they are. Well, I want, I want to ask you this. Yeah. Because somebody left a comment on the South Carolina story. Yeah. And I wanted to know, like, what you thought about it. But I said that South Carolina's uh, rise, you know, 10, 15 years ago when they were getting the big time players there, like Marcus Lattimore and uh, Javion Clowney and who there's one more. Alshon Jeffrey. Alshon Jeffrey. Yeah. Woo. Uh, those were all uh, South Carolina prospects. And I made the comment in the story that South Carolina built up a really good football team on the backs of South Carolina talent before Clemson's rise. And it'll be much more difficult now that Clemson is an established superpower to duplicate that. And somebody commented, Ari, Clemson didn't rise until South Carolina fell. Do you think there's anything to that or is that an irrational South Carolina fan just saying it? Like, do you think that what what happened? Clemson took it from South Carolina or South Carolina tripped and South Carolina Clemson's rise had nothing to do with South Carolina's fall. And I'd have to go look back and look at the rosters and like South Carolina Clemson got but it awesome. coincided. Yeah, but Clemson got awesome. Like how many in-state players were, you know, the quarterbacks weren't in-state. Most of the receivers, I don't believe, were in-state like they're elite. I know, but South Carolina top talent for the past seven years has traditionally gone to Clemson. Yes. Um, and were I, they I able to have okay. a, a foothold in that state as a result of South Carolina falling or did Clemson just turn into a juggernaut and then become the it place? I think it's probably that, but I just wanted to present that to you because I thought it was a fascinating comment, whether or not it was real or yeah, not. Yeah, I, I think a lot of things, it's a little bit of both. I'd say it's 75-25, like Clemson. Clemson taking it. Yes, Clemson yeah. taking it and got good because they got, you know, Deshaun Watson and they got some of those guys. Um, 
It's interesting, though. I mean, I think that's that's one of those fun states. You know, we talk about LSU and Georgia and Ohio State as being the dominating their state. I think the fun states are the, you know, Alabama, Auburn to some degree. But, you know, and South Carolina was, I think, on one of your lists of like sneaky, talented states. Yeah. Yes. Um, their problem has been keeping the Tennessees of the world, like in you know in the '90s and the 2000s when Tennessee was awesome, they would go into South Carolina and clean up, and Georgia would go in there. Um, but it's as we've noted and talked about, South Carolina is is kind of cleaning up. Excuse me, uh, cleaning up in the 24 class did well in the 23 class. So um, you know how it is once you kind of establish yourself as the program, the cool program in your own state, and it's cool to go to South Carolina. It yeah. makes it easier for those elite guys. Well, the that- thing that I, I think is really good here, Mitch, is Shane Beamer seems like a legitimately cool dude. And, you know, in the times that I've spoken to him, which, you know, three or four times, I've always been impressed by his temperament. And I know that assistants are important. I know that geography is important. I know conference affiliation is important, all those things that go into it. But if you just get a coach that is somebody you think you'd like to play for, like how much of a difference that can make, you know, because when South Carolina was winning games this year, it seemed like they were generally having a great time together. And it seemed like Shane Beamer was close to his roster. Not that other coaches aren't, but in a way that was transcendent. Um, So when you get momentum, the way that South Carolina has gotten it, it is easier to build off that momentum because your coach is a likable person that you want to play for who has a real good sales pitch now. Yeah, I think there's something to that. It's can you sustain that when you suffer a couple setbacks? Is he as cool? Mm-hmm. You know, is he as fun to be around and all that? Like, how long does the stick? Um, and, you know, maybe your point is it's not a stick because he's just a, a nice guy. Uh, I think he's just, he understands how to run a program. You know, obviously, you watched his dad do it. He worked under some of the, you know, some great head coaches. He he purposefully bounced around and saw how other coaches did it. And he's, you know, he, he what was it two years ago when he was exacerbated by that question after the Georgia game? He gets it. He knows why Georgia kicked their ass two years ago because Georgia has better players. Like he doesn't have a huge ego. Like I'm going to out scheme you. He's like I need to out recruit you to beat you. And you know, I think he's he's. On his way, it's very difficult in the SEC to climb up the food chain, but they are a program right now that you would say is clearly, you know, the arrow is pointing upward. It's they've yep. got they've got good talent. Um, this is now a South Carolina podcast. Yeah, I know. I said we weren't going to talk about South Carolina, and we spent. But know, I love it. Yeah, I, I, you know, and then let this be a reminder to everybody who gets upset or thinks yeah. that we're repetitive. If you give us something to talk about, we're going to talk about it. Yeah, exactly. All right. Um, Penn State ceiling. That was a mailbag question. It wasn't part of your thoughts. You're a guy that has had thoughts over Penn State, about Penn State. Could Penn State be a program? Let's let's throw NIL out of this. And let's go into the assumption over the next five years that these programs that are kind of on historically equal footing are going to have equal NIL. Could, could, could Penn State be a program that signs five straight top six classes? Or is that just, are they too dependent of in-state talent? That's hard. Yeah. Uh, because they've only done it once in the Franklin era. So to sit there and say that they're going to do it for four years in a row is difficult. Now, the question I'll throw back to you so I don't over talk on this episode is. We both agree that Penn State's going to be one of the biggest beneficiaries of the expanded playoff. Yes. Right? Just mathematically, they've been in the top 12 quite a bit for the past seven years or eight years of the playoff. So just that they're always a 10 plus win team. You know, they haven't had any. I think the pandemic year, they had a really bad year, right? But yes, for the most did. part, they've been a consistent year team. So will Penn State, once it becomes a constant fixture in the 12-team field, be a more viable option or a more visible option to the recruits who are watching that yes. than they are right now? I think I might so disagree do you think with you. That's- that was my whole thing when playoff expansion was announced. I was on the the the, the side of the argument that That'll These have programs a, a, have more to sell now. I think you were kind of on the other side. I mean, I think if you if you're if you're a recruit and you see from your freshman year to your junior year, Penn State make the playoffs three times in a row, and all anyone talks about is the playoff, how great the playoff is, you don't you're not really thinking about oh they haven't won a national championship yet. You're like I want to play in the playoffs, and 
that's going to increase their, that's going to help their sales pitch. I have. So, so basically what you're saying is that nothing has to change at Penn state. They can be the same exact program that they are right now. And because we are going to redefine success. Yes. With a 12 team field, that'll make people not only view Penn state differently, but make people want to play there more. Yeah. I think it doesn't need a lot of people. Let's say it's two extra guys, two extra top 100 players a year. That will but make they're them far off. They're they're far more removed from top one hundred. Two top one hundred players. Okay, but let's let's envision this. Overall. Over yeah. a three year period, they get two or three more top one hundred players. They they start signing five instead of two, whatever the numbers are. Yeah. And Drew Aller or their next quarterback turns out to be awesome. And, and in two thousand twenty six or twenty seven, they're a nine seed and they break through. They just they have a great and they get to the championship, the national championship. Then they're like, okay, here we've made the playoffs three straight years. We upset Georgia, and we're in the championship game now. That raises their profile. And then maybe they get an extra top 100, 200 players every year after that. So I think that's I mean, I mean, think that's how these next tier, I'll throw, you know, maybe Washington's in that group. Who, who knows? Starts elbowing their way in to that where they're a more viable option for elite recruits. Yeah. Uh, I guess I skeptical. I don't know. I, I, uh, I think that we are underestimating – how much people are going to change uh, the way they view things. I think that make we're assigning what it feels like when you make the four-team field the same importance as if you make the 12 But that's all these kids will know about, too. I see what you're saying. No, I know, but I don't know that this the level of success or the achievement of making the four-team field now will not carry the same weight as it will making the, we will adjust our expectations based on what the sport is. So like, for instance, James Franklin could have the same five years that he just got done having. Like, let's just take, let's do a time bend, like all these comic book movies that everybody likes and take the next, the last five years and then spring forward and, and duplicate them for the next five. And then Penn state makes the playoff four times. Nothing's changed. Nothing's improved. It's identical to what it already was. Still losing to Ohio State. Still losing to Michigan. Yeah, still losing these games, but finish number 11, number 10, number 12, and make the playoff three out of those five years. Are they more successful to you? I mean. Because then what's going to happen, I think, is going to be James Franklin makes the playoff every year, but he can't get to the semis. Well, that's we don't know. But if you're in the playoff every year, okay, I put it this way. If they're in the playoff four times out of five years, I would think they're going to break through one time and get to the semis. Because I wanted to say all college basketball, okay, the elite kids, the five top five stars they want to go to Duke or Kentucky or Kansas maybe. But for the most part, college basketball recruits, they want to go, did you make the tournament? Yeah, we made the tournament five out of the last six years. Okay, I want to go there. If you're a high major team and you've gone to the tournament five times in six years, unless you just completely suck or whatever, for whatever reason, you've broken through at least one time and gone to the Sweet 16 or maybe the Elite Eight. I think it's the same thing. It's just that's the measure of success. I want to go to a it's program. It's not basketball. I know, but I want to go to a program that puts itself in position to compete for a national championship. And we're looking back at this Penn State, a five-year stretch or whatever. And hey, you know, if they if they make the playoffs four times in five years and lose in the first round every time, then no, they haven't really raised their their profile. But my guess is they would win a game at least one time. Yeah, they probably. Oh, I or think two. they would win a game. Yeah, or get yeah, to the semifinals. No, I think they're going to win a game. I think they would get to the semifinals. Like, hey, you know, you are. No, I don't think they would. Mud. You, you are. The say, semis means the four team field. I know. You always say that okay. what's James Franklin's like. The best thing he's done almost is figure out a way to muck it up and compete with Ohio State. Mm-hmm. So you know what. He's proven that he can play above his talent against a specific program. Maybe in the playoff with three weeks to prepare, he can muck it up against, you know, a, a DJ no, Lightweight-led Florida team. When they play Pitt or a down Florida team or something like that or an Auburn team, they've already proven they can beat those teams in the regular season. I don't know that they could win four games in a row or three games in a row like that. And I certainly don't think they would beat Ohio State or a team like Ohio State, like an Alabama or a Georgia in the when there's eight teams left to get to the semis, but that's not even the point. The point is, I don't think that the profile of the program is going to, even if it goes up a little bit because they made the playoff, is going to equate to all of a sudden they're going to sign top six team or top six classes four years in a row. Like there has to be some sort of improvement, right? Because 
All we're doing is changing the the goalposts of what success is by adding more teams to it. We're not demanding that Penn State get better. But we and Penn State has to get better in order for them to get the six to top six classes in my opinion totally get it but we we just we just 10 years ago or 2014 we just started to change the six what we consider successful program making the playoff like it used to be just i don't know what we consider it's like either did you play for the no one really talked about only the teams that play for the national championship so like we don't know yeah how we're going to think in five years like we we just don't know like a lot of it i mean i think it'll be i think what will happen is Big time programs. So I think Penn State is unequivocally a top 20 program nationally, right? Maybe even higher. Yes. Top 15. We The expectations will naturally shift to what you do in the playoff for teams like that. Like just making the playoff isn't going to be good enough for them in five, 10 years because nothing has changed. If this isn't good enough for them now, then making the, the field of of. 12 isn't going to be good enough for them in 10 years because they're going to get tired of it. Right. So eventually, I think James Franklin is unequivocally a good recruiter. Use the right? word, uh, you've used the word unequivocally two times in the past two minutes. James Franklin is definitely a good recruiter, right? Yes. So in the year that they signed the top six class, was that the 18 class or the 19 class? I can't remember. I think it was the 18, 18. class. 18. Micah Parsons was in Harrisburg. So that yes. helped. But Pennsylvania is typically a pretty talented state, so that's not an unreasonable thing to think can happen for a two or three year period. Unequivocally, usually at least one five star, five star player in those state in that state during that time. But I think that it's like chicken and the egg. Will Penn State get more players than win playoff games because of those players because they made the twelve team field, or do they have to improve their recruiting results over a four year period in order to win a playoff game in the twelve team field? You know, uh, and I think it's probably the latter, and I think that they have the potential to do it because they've already done it once. But I do think they probably need to beat Michigan or beat Ohio State on the field yes. in the next few years to re inspire some thought that they can do it because it's been a long time since they've had a really good season. A transcendent season. I, I want to move on in a second. But, you know, we talk all this stuff, and there could be some 13-year-old kid from Harrisburg or Bethlehem who's a, going to be a, the top five quarterback and who's been dreaming his whole life to go to quarterback, and there could be, like, two defensive line twins in Pittsburgh that want to go to Penn State, and they all are in the same class, and then that turns the, changes the trajectory of the program, and we've sit here it's trying to analyze literally everything. what could happen. Yeah. No, it's, it's absolutely, and that's why being in Georgia – Right. And being in Florida the odds is so are, advantageous right. because the odds of that happening are higher. Right. Just think, if South Dakota State could I mean, recruit a little better, it. they could have had Lincoln LeBron Kynholz. James was born in Akron. You think the Cleveland Cavaliers would have an, an NBA championship if he was born in Pittsburgh? No, he happened to be born right. in Akron. You ever, so the movie wanted, the, you ever see the movie The Fish That Saved Pittsburgh with Dr. J? I haven't, no. no is it good? good? Uh, it's a very 70s movie. Yeah, basketball okay. movie. No, I haven't seen a lot of 70s movies. I'm sorry. Okay. You got to go see uh, Fast Break with Gabe Kaplan. Good movie. Was that in the seventies too? Yeah, great movie. I saw it when well, I was like eight I, years old. I might old. as well start watching seventies movies because they're not making good ones anymore. <laughs> I know, totally. Um, all right, okay, real quick because we do need to move on. You, in your thoughts column, Penn State was one of them, and you also identified another program, LSU. That yes, LSU is going to sign a good class. We know that, but there are some hurdles this year that weren't there last year for them signing a great class. Yeah, uh, and LSU might be a transcendent enough program to break through this, but Louisiana is usually a super deep class uh, or high school class in that state, and I think this year they only have two top 100 players in the state. Could change, as so, you said. I mean, and it players could change rankings update and get and players reevaluate. Right, but usually I think 10 players in LSU's number six class last year were from Louisiana. So I look at Louisiana. LSU in the state of Louisiana, and it kind of reminds me of Ohio State in 2023, where a usually deep state is not that deep. And now it's going to force LSU to spend more time in Houston and Dallas and Florida and other places where they have new exciting coaches or coaches who have been very good recruiters for a long time. So will Brian Kelly, who doesn't have a reputation as a fierce and relentless recruiter, be able to transcend the lack of layups in his own state in the 2024 class to still sign the top six, top five class. And I would probably bet against that right now 
but I don't think that it would be shocking to be wrong about that. Yes, I, I would. I would agree. Um, and we've talked about it. You wrote about it. And one thing that I just never thought about until I started working with you and, and kind of diving deeper into recruiting. Ari's got a smile on his face that like I actually learned something from him. I learned a lot from you. It's nice to hear that you think about things differently because of me, too. Yeah, I do. <laughs> Believe me, I think a lot of about a lot of things differently because of you. A lot of them uh, probably non-work related. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, that the, the 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 benefit of in-state talent is twofold. It's because you're getting good players in state, but they're already just use the term layup. Like LSU getting a kid who went to Baton Rouge Catholic, whatever it is, five miles from his from the campus. They don't have to expend a lot of energy on that. So if you don't expend a lot of energy to signing that kid or getting a commitment from that kid, that frees up man hours, that frees up dollars for you to go recruit that kid in California, that defensive lineman that you need because your in-state defensive line class isn't good. So as it pertains to Ohio State, LSU, it's, it's the ability to get those easy commitments that frees up a class, frees up a staff to spend. Because I don't care how hard you work, all these coaches work hard, there's there's a finite amount of time of to time. recruit right. as a staff. And I've said this before and I a thousand times, time is currency in recruiting. Right. And now we have currency every, in recruiting too. But, yeah, now we have <laughs> currency in recruiting. So now time is crypto. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, but yeah. And like, just because a player's in state doesn't mean his recruitment's going to be easy. But in right. my time covering some are, Ohio State, some are, you know. I saw them rack up five-star commitments a year in advance that were never going to go anywhere else. That they didn't have to spend time on, right? You can, so you go, to, you go to his high school basketball game to give him a hug. That's all, you know. Like, yeah, and then he he comes up all the time because they live close to Baton Rouge, and you know you have a good connection. You keep in contact with him, but he becomes an asset that helps pay dividends in your class and not a time liability. Um, and LSU is not going to have that benefit this year. So you know, will they still sign a top five class if LSU? poked a few top 100 guys out of California and got one out of Arizona and Texas. And, you know, they've already done that. I think they have 10 commitments already. And a few of them are from Texas already. Um, They can transcend that, but I don't know. It's just a harder time and in a harder landscape to recruit nationally than it has been in the past. And I think even though it's more common, you have better coaches all over the country now than you did five years ago. And Brian Kelly being one of them, you know, it's like you replace Brian Kelly with Notre Dame, Marcus Freeman, and you can make the case that Marcus Freeman is a better recruiter as a head coach than Brian Kelly. So what did you do? You just added another capable head coach in the landscape of recruiting nationally that can get into a kid's ear and convince him. So it makes it harder to pool guys. It's just like it's just scarcity. So I don't know, Ari, if this is like bad podcasting or whatever. I've been teasing this data and we just had such... I think brilliant conversation that went on for so long that we're going to push this to next week. So how's that for a tease? I don't know if that's yeah, again. Well, I think that, it keeps people engaged. It's like they yes. will come back for more next week and maybe, yes. and I don't want to overpromise here. We'll present the data in story form on the athletic. You might be overselling it. You haven't seen the data. I'll just, we can talk about it later. Okay. Yeah. But okay. it would be nice for people to be able to look at the data and follow along because okay. I'm going to use the data to get into theories as to why that happened. Okay, fair fake, enough. And fake or real theories, and then we can yes. talk about those theories next week with the data. Um, yeah. So yeah, you uh, always over-prepare for the podcast, and I don't think you have ever – it hasn't dawned on you yet that all you have to do is say one thing, and then I'll ramble for five minutes. I underestimate our our ability to bullshit about recruiting. Wow, which is like the easy, which is what we do when we're not recording. So Right, I know. Like, we yeah. have conversations like this. I like – I think most of our podcasts th- are good. Maybe not all of them, but this one, I feel like you just called, you just FaceTime me while I'm working and yeah, you're just yeah. talking around and, and we're just talking. And uh, I think people like the bullshitting because that's what sports yeah. is. That's bullshit about sports. Yeah. So, so yeah, it doesn't right. have to. Are you, you, you going to run this podcast or can I go on? I was on? just going to say that it doesn't have okay. to be structured like it's military camp. Like you like to run the podcast sometimes. Could you, <laughs> could you give me 10 pushups? This guy runs could, this podcast like it's the Navy. I mean, it's just. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, all right. So as I mentioned at the outset, really not a lot going on, on the commitment front. Um, couple uh, Vanderbilt got a quarterback commitment from the 24 class. Jeremy, Say it with your chest. Jeremy St. Hilaire, a quarterback from Chattanooga, Macaulay, by way, by way of Canada, which I found recently some private schools in 
Chattanooga specifically evidently have been recruiting kids from Canada. Is this the 25 class? 24 class. He is unranked, had offers from Vanderbilt and Wake Forest only. Um, I've heard great things about him. He's a big kid. I don't, um, you know, I don't know if this type of kid's going to blow up next year when he plays, but uh, Jeremy St. Hilaire, but evidently there's a lot of kids from Canada playing high school football in Chattanooga. So maybe that you need to, is the story. Yeah. Maybe you need to go there. Um, I'm Grace is going to be working on a story. Grace Rayner on Wake Forest quarterback recruiting. I'm fascinated by it. I don't know if you read my, hopefully you did because you participated in the ACC round table a few weeks ago. Like I made the point, like we picked a non blue chipper who we were uh, intrigued by and I forgot his name, but I picked a Wake Forest quarterback. Cause like Wake Forest has had good quarterbacks for like six straight years and none of them were highly ranked. So I don't well, know where, the, where are the kids from that go to Chattanooga? Do you know? Canada. No, I know, but Canada's a very large place. <laughs> I mean, they're not from... Uh, can we make another it's Winnipeg from, joke? I don't know. Uh, yeah, <laughs> is he from Winnipeg? Yeah. It's like, do they... They're playing football in high school up there? I think he's I think he's from Ontario. That's also is, a very big place. Yes. So I don't know. Well, maybe, you know, maybe we can look into it. Um, yeah, I will. I'm going to so, call that kid. Yeah. Hey. So I, I heard, like I said, heard really good things about him. Um, and then the other commit we need to talk about Oklahoma State got a commitment from a safety from Longview, Texas. His name is Willie Nelson. You okay there, Chief? Someone just walked up to my front door and I could see their feet. Oh, really? And they're, and they're wearing boots. And that's scary. Okay. It's like a Michael Myers movie. <laughs> yeah. So and it's like waiting for them to leave. We have a we have this this recording is on, so if something happens to you, that could be evidence. Okay. They have walked you okay? off. I think it was okay. just the mailman. Okay. I mean, so if you, you think hear- about that, though, it's like if you were watching a horror movie and you saw Michael Myers like underneath the bathroom stall. Yeah. Because like I have curtains that go down to the floor and then there's like windows down there and it's like some person with boots. Okay. What were you saying? Yeah. So, yeah, I had this big setup and I knew you weren't paying attention. Well, I was scared. Oklahoma State got a commitment from a safety from Longview, Texas. Yeah. Willie Nelson. Three star. Willie Nelson. Yeah. I just. Yeah. I heard that. That's great. Like his parents just like, screw it. We're calling him Willie. Willie yeah, Nelson. I think Willie is a really cool name for a young man. Yeah, this, well, yeah, I'm one of my good friends, Willie Donick. I wanted right. to try to call Bill Landis Willie for a while, but it wasn't working out. He it wouldn't stick. Do it. it didn't stick. It didn't. Stala B stuck. Willie did not stick. Has Landis started taking your Facetimes again, or is he yeah, he took off? one the other day actually. How's he doing post post Eagles loss? Looks good. No, he was okay with it. Uh, okay, his thought was that it was by the letter of the law holding but not sure if I or he would have called that in that moment. I thought, I mean, obviously it's difficult to argue since the dude admitted the hold. I just didn't think he impeded the receiver that much. Like you could freeze frame it where he was looked like he was grabbing his hip, but like the, if he didn't it, touch him, the pass still wouldn't have been completed. Right. But maybe that's just, but Mahomes being smart. Seeing there's, it and just there's two it. ways of looking at it though. Did he commit a penalty? Yes. Yes. And if he committed a penalty, you call it no matter what time it is. One hundred percent agree with you. But the, the problem that Landis had, as a rational birds fan, yes, was that they didn't call it all game, and you play the game the way the refs are calling it, right? Yes. So to call it for the first time, I can see why somebody would have a problem with that because all you want from a coach is consistency. So, like on one hand, he committed a penalty, and they called the penalty. That's the game. But on the other hand, there are other ways to exist within the rules of that game with the expectation that it's going to be called a certain way based on the previous four quarters, and it didn't work out that way, and it cost them the Super Bowl. I can see why somebody would be mad. And shockingly, I think depending on what team you root for or what bet you had in, yeah. that's probably going to have a large... Like, I had the Eagles for my kingdom, and I was upset about it. Yes. Because I like got up and I was cheered. Yes, we're going to get the ball back. The game's not over. And then they threw the flag. And then I went into the bathroom and cried for five minutes so my wife didn't see. And then I came back out and pretend like nothing happened. Okay, good. Yeah. Um, all right. So I got a good trivia question, but we're going to hit a, f- a few mailbags, that you, questions that you talked about in your mailbag. But this one's a fun one to talk about. And we, we've we've talked about kind of a offshoot and of this. I think it was what? the one that most people like in the comments gravitated toward. Okay. Uh, if you had to throw a five-star recruit... With a perfect one zero 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 ranking, unanimous rating in the Super Bowl, at which position would you look? Would he look the least helpless? The answer, of course, is none of them. But for the sake of argument, let's have some fun. Thanks for humoring me, Joe B. And I think, in fact, you rarely do this, but 
you consulted me before answering and we were basically on the same page. Yeah, you said running back or receiver, and I think running back might be an interesting one. But the reason why I didn't pick running back was because they are too integral in the blitz pickup aspect yes, of the game. And I agreed with that. Yes. And if anybody like linebacker or safety or somebody comes in and the running back has to pick that person up, like I don't know. And of course, you said the perfect recruit with a 1.00 rating, which doesn't happen with anybody but quarterback. It's like if you put Adrian Peterson as a high schooler back there, could he pick up? Like there, the I mean, Bijan Robinson was built like a four-year college player the second I saw him in his high school, his senior year. So I guess there are certain running backs that might be able to hold their own physically. But I did a receiver for that very reason because you can find the perfect receiver who could run routes and maybe hold a block for an extra second, and you could conceivably mount a scoring drive by running away from them or you know, hoping that they hold their own while hiding them. I think that the only two answers are those two positions. And like you could say quarterback and just hand the ball off the entire game, but then that wouldn't work because you wouldn't score. No, and, and you know how easy it is to confuse like a freshman quarterback in college? I mean, imagine if you, God forbid, had a third down and But if you put him in the Super Bowl and, and all he did was hand the ball off. Yeah, but you get your ass kicked. I mean, the yeah, purpose yeah, of this yeah. is not to, not to like, it would be like the least disaster. Okay, so what's the and worst Somebody position? in the comments said defensive end. He just gets mauled. I was like, are you like, do you left watch football? Would, like, I think left yeah. tackle would be the worst. Left because tackle have, would be the worst. Because you'd have to devote so many other resources to stopping that rush on that side that it would open up everything else. Or corner. Yeah, corner, but like corner you can shade over. Yeah, I mean, they would all, like as, as, as Joe B noted, they would all suck. I mean. They would all suck. Know. Even the receiver would suck. Um, yeah. My point was just. Left tackle in, would be impossible to overcome. Yeah. Because I don't care. Like, you might get a left tackle who is 6'6", 310 or better when they sign, but they're not strong enough. Like, that's not a strong 6'6", 310 as a a release to the NFL. But I I do think a running back, if you didn't ask him to pass protect, I think a running back could get some stuff done. Do you think a running back could rush for 100 yards from high school in an NFL game? In an NFL game with the right offensive line. Yeah, I don't. I don't think so. I mean, I'm not Have saying I would see, bet on like, it. I'm not saying I would bet. It wouldn't NFL, shock me. Sometimes wouldn't shock like, me. You watch the NFL, and it occurs to you. I was listening to another podcast about college football the other day, and they said that when you watch the NFL, the Super Bowl, it's played a certain way, and that the closest game that they watched in college that reflected the Super Bowl was the Ohio State Georgia game. Like if you were to pick one college football game this year and be like, which teams emulate the way a, the Super Bowl would look, would you agree that that might be the game you choose? Sure. And like even in the same playoff, Michigan and TCU was a very entertaining college football game. It resembled nothing close to what an NFL game looks like. And I think part of the reason for that is game plan and, and quarterbacks, but also the reason of it is because of the number of players on the field in the Georgia Ohio state game that will soon be playing in the NFL. That when you watch an NFL game though, there will be times like where Mahomes or Hertz is rolling out and you think there's nobody there and they'll be able to scramble for seven or eight yards up the sideline. And then a defensive tackle will dart. And then we're talking about a dude who weighs 330 pounds and we'll cut him off with an angle. Look, I don't think people appreciate how big, fast, and strong these people are. Because no you're watching I'll, a game on TV, you can't sense it. But you know how fast a defensive tackle is in the NFL? Well, I, I, so, I, let me chime in here. I, and it's you're talking about the NFL, but like I watched college football from my couch or in press box for years, doing the sidelines for SEC games for seven years. I was just like AJ Brown. I always say is the most physically gifted person I saw on the field in seven years doing sidelines. Like, like some of these dudes are Derek Barnett at, at Tennessee. Some of these guys are just unbelievable and you cannot appreciate it unless, you know, you're down so there watching that, the speed. So then if you go watch a high school game, which I'm sure you've done quite a bit too, and I've been to plenty of high school games in my day, even the best players on a high school field can't cope with the level of strength and speed and, natural gifts that those guys at the college level have. Like 
we try to say what college team could compete with an NFL team. It can't happen. And, you know, it's like putting a high schooler who's a five-star prospect into the Super Bowl would be like putting me into a college game. Yes. Um, all right, let's go trivia because I, I actually got a yeah. meeting in a few minutes. You have a meeting. Okay. I've got a it's meeting. all about you, 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 you. Okay. Says the guy who moved this podcast time around three different times today to accommodate your schedule. It was twice, but yeah. Okay. Are you are you ready? After you moved it first from off the original time. <laughs> hey, bud. Um, <laughs> All right, let's over, do this. Over the last 10 cycles, there have been 31 five-star quarterbacks. Whoa. How many states have produced more than one? And name them. Six. Five. Boom! Oh! You didn't get it. Good answer, though. I mean, if you'd like to be wrong, it's a good California. Yes, seven. Texas. Six. Florida. Wrong. Georgia. Florida, zero. Really? Georgia. Four. Correct. How many more do I have? Two more? Two more. One of them should be, you should get if you think about it. It's a state that's known for quarterbacks. Hint, hint, hint. And it's a state known for handsome recruiting podcasters. Is it Arizona? Yes. Uh, who are the two for Arizona? Um, wouldn't it be what Kyle Allen and um, Spencer Rattler? Oh yeah, I guess. I, I was thinking to... like a few of the quarterback. A lot of the quarterbacks in Andy's story weren't five stars. Uh, and then one more. Is it off the beaten path? It's um, it's a state we've talked about on this pod today. It's. I'm trying to think who the second one is. I know who the first Louisiana. One is. No, I think I knew Pennsylvania. That. Incorrect. You said you might buy stock in this program. Oh, Seattle, Washington. But so they're both Sam in Heward, Seattle. Sam, yeah, Sam Heward and Jacob Eason. I guess. Yeah, probably. I guess so. Yeah. yeah, Eason was a freshman in 2015. That's a good trivia question. Yeah. So the other states are. With one, Alabama, Hawaii, Illinois, Indiana, Louisiana, Michigan, Ohio, Pennsylvania, and D.C. And the one that, unless I screwed up my data, which I don't think I did, is Florida without a five-star quarterback. That's crazy. Last 10 years. Think about that. I just said six because it's like the big four states and then maybe a few more. That was why I did my guess. Yeah, I mean, you were, you were so proud of yourself to get you're only off by one, but I mean, this wasn't an answer. Buddy, if this was like, like 47. If this, if this week, if this question was asked on week one, I might have said 63. You know, like, I don't <laughs> no, know. I, like, no, there's 50 states yeah. in ours. All right. Well, enjoy your meeting, Mitch. I thought that was a good show. I'm excited to see your data. Share it with me on Slack, and I might get to reading it. Um, thanks so much, guys, for listening to a latest edition of Stars Matter. We will undoubtedly catch you next week. <laughs>